Hello, hi, it's Paul McCartney here, and I'm announcing the fact that I have written a new children's picture book. Um, it's called Hey Grandude. Why? Well, uh, I've got eight grandchildren, and they're all beautiful. And one day, one of them said to me, Hey, Grandude. I said, What? And I thought, I kind of like that. So from then on, I was known as Grandude. So I, I thought, yeah, it'd be good to do stories with Grandude as a character. So I started to write a couple of little things. Yeah. I mean, for me, really, what it is, is um, I love reading to kids at bedtime. And I think it's a good thing. It's a bonding thing. And I actually like doing it. But I like it to be reasonably short so they go asleep quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, yeah. So basically it's about a character called Grandude who is, um, represents grandfathers everywhere and um, he has four grandchildren and he calls them Chillers and they love him and they go on adventures with him and he's kind of magical so you'll see that in the book but uh, I wanted to write it just for grandfathers everywhere and the kids so it gives you something to read to the grandkids at bedtime. The illustrator is Catherine Durst, Canadian girl, and as you can see, she's brilliant. Here they are. I'm very pleased to announce Grandude. The book's called Hey Grandude. Here he is with the kids, and they go on magic adventures together, and we hope you'll join us on these magic adventures. Dear listener, my name is Edward Marshall Senior. I have four grandchildren. I call them Chillers and they call me Grandood. Come and join us on an adventure. Yours sincerely, Grandood. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music and the man behind it all. Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today we are going to be once again changing the very medium that we are reviewing on this podcast. And now we're actually going to be moving things over to the printed word with the very first of our book reviews on this show. However, this book is actually written by Paul McCartney, so hey, at least it's actually relevant. But yeah, I mean, I already spend far too many hours reading books about and around Paul McCartney for this show. So I must admit that the prospect of reading a book actually written by him for the podcast was... An incredibly exciting one indeed. Of course, I have since found out that Hey Grandude is not the first dabbling in children's fiction by Paul McCartney. No, in 2005, he and Jeff Dunbar, for whom he had worked with on the Rupert the Bear frog song short, published High in the Clouds. And straight away, it is clear from the outset that Hey Grandude is far less substantial than that previous work and... This is going to be aimed at a much younger audience. 
high in the cloud was perhaps for the ages of around 7 to 10. And instead, today, we're going to be looking at a book whose target demographic is more around the 3 to 5 range, as demonstrated by the absolute sea of toddlers that were in attendance at the Hey Grand Dude book launch last year. But just because it is a book for children, it doesn't mean that it has any less worth and it doesn't mean it's going to escape my overthinking, over-analytical mind. After all, it is still a release from Paul McCartney and the audiobook, as all audiobooks should be, is even read by Paul himself and it even technically contains a brand new composition from Paul on guitar. Ergo, by the standards of this podcast, it bears just as much analysis as any of his albums or films or gigs. And with that in mind, and with that in mind, the scope for future Paul McCartney books doesn't just end at high in the clouds. I mean, my copy of that wonderful children's book, if you follow us on the Twitter, actually arrived through my front door the other day. But I'm sure we can expand that scope. We can look at other Paul McCartney books that he's released over the years, like picture books, photograph books, stuff with Linda, or maybe even that cookbook he and his kids released a couple of years ago as well. The sky's the limits. Though, before we do any of that, there is the matter of the housekeeping. First of all, as always, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always want to hear your McCartney stories. You know, the things that only you might know. And, just as it happens, one of our listeners today one Mr. Andy B has actually gone one step further and sent in an audio clip for me or us to listen to. And let me just say, I've never had an audio file be sent in from a listener to this show, so that in itself was incredibly cool for me. And if any others of you out there want to do the same, then I would highly recommend it because it, well, it creates good content for this show as well as being incredibly pleasurable for me to listen to. In fact, I enjoyed Andy's message so much that I'm actually going to play the best bits of it for you today. Now, the reason Andy recorded the message in the first place was because he simply had so much to say, even with my own subtle edits, so it's still going to be well over 15 minutes long. So I'm going to play a quick clip of it for you right now, and you can listen to the rest of it at the end of the episode, a few seconds after Denny Lane plays us out at the end of the main episode. But for now, here's just a taste of some of the juicy morsels from Andy B. So December 84, I thought, hmm, during my lunch break, I'll go to Soho Square, have a look at MPL. I've probably got my camera with me. Oh, I'll tell you what, on the off chance, I'll just take a Paul McCartney ebony and ivory postcard with me. You know, the one with him leaning up against the uh, the piano keyboard. So I uh, took it there, and it was about lunchtime, and I stood there, just outside, on the street. And this bloke walks by in a long coat. It's pretty cold, because it's December. And I asked to do a double take, because he's going into MPL. Hang on a minute. That's Paul McCartney. Hey, hey, excuse me, excuse me. Would you mind signing this for me? And that's the very first time I ever met him outside MPL. And he, he signed the, um, the, the postcard, which unfortunately has since been stolen from me. But that's another story. And he signed it, posed for a picture. And he went in. I said, you know, love the stuff. Whatever, I can't even remember the conversation I had with him. And he went in and I had to get back to, to, to work. So I went back to work. And this was on a Friday. And I thought to myself... I wonder if he's in there quite often. So throughout the week, I pop back, nothing. The next Friday, 
there he is again. And I, I get a photo of him again, has a little chit chat, but he's obviously, because I've got him to sign another um, uh, postcard, exactly the same. And he's obviously looked at it, looked at me, and he must have had a deja vu feeling because it was exactly a week earlier that I'd done exactly the same thing. So that was how I sort of figured out how I could meet him. And if that wasn't enough to entice you, then let me just say, folks, it gets a lot juicier towards the end of that story. Please stay to the end of the episode to check out Andy's stories. But yeah, Andy, thank you so much for that. I can't wait to have you on the show at some point. I know we will have much to discuss. And again, if you want to be like Andy, if you want to send in an audio clip or an email, send that into paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Find us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. That's the central hub for the show. Check out our blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com to find all sorts of extra bonus Paul or nothing content there. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, Podomatic, Spotify, whatever platform you're using. Please leave us a five-star review or something remotely positive as it boosts the show in a massive way and it literally only takes a couple of minutes of your time. If you want to help the show in a big way, then please consider checking out our Patreon page down below. Patreon, as I'm sure all of you know and are bored with by now, is a way that you can help support independent content creators like me. If you like the show, if you like what I'm doing, if you like the fact that it's ad-free, then please consider becoming a patron, help support the show, help us grow, keep the lights running. But now that we've got all of that out of the way, let us get our postcards and magic compasses ready as we explore the world of... Hey Grandude. What is Hey Grandude? So, for some of you who may be interested only in Paul's music, you may be asking, Hey Sam, what the hell is Hey Grandude? Well, firstly, it's a pretty poor pun on the song title Hey Jude. And secondly, I'm just going to go ahead and read the blurb on the inside of the book, as it'll do a far better job than I ever could. It reads... Meet Grandude, an intrepid explorer with amazing tricks up his sleeve. Grandude whisks away his four grandchildren on whirlwind adventures with his magic compass. Join them as they ride flying fish, dodge stampedes and escape avalanches. The plot itself follows the four grandkids, hereby named Lucy, Tom, Em and Bob, as they sit bored and grumpy on a rainy day. Enter Grandude, who produces said magic compass and some postcards, and with his magic he essentially teleports them to a beach. They splash around and have a load of fun, they ride the aforementioned flying fish, and then there's like a little danger element that's introduced with a crab biting a toe of one of the kids, and there's a swarm of crabs on the beach, and so Grandad, being their protector, takes them somewhere a little less pinchy, and BAM! They are then in the Wild West, where they meet a cowboy riding an Appaloosa, but before you know it, there's a buffalo stampede, and Grandude whisks them off to somewhere less stampy. Lastly, Grandude takes them to a wonderful mountaintop locale, where he plays them a song, and they all have a sing. And then an avalanche forces them to ride some magical flying cows to safety, and after all that fun and adventure, Grandude and the kids are transported back to their bedroom, ready to be tucked up in bed. And there you have it. It's not exactly war and peace, but it's a perfectly novel idea for a young children's book. Rather like the way Paul can stitch together disparate songs to create a whole new track, here he takes you know, the disparate elements of the beach, the wild west and the mountaintops and uses the connective tissue of the titular grandude to afford such a globe-trotting and far-reaching adventure. 
It's also the perfect setup for a potential sequel book as well, as all they have to do is have another rainy day and Grandude bring them some more postcards to take them to some new magical place. And in that sense, it's the older, hairier family version of Mary Poppins, perhaps? The main sentiment of the book, though, is rather similar to McCartney's career in many ways, in the sense that he's explaining to younger audiences and, young, and younger children that older people can be cool and be relevant and fun and come up with cool stuff in their lives. Like, not only is Grand Dude the vessel for which all this fantastical fun can begin, but he's also a teacher and protector for them wherever they go. So, if you want to look at this whole book like some sort of grand literary version of silly love songs for old people, then you're not too far off the mark, really. Of course, if this book was read to me when I was very little, it probably wouldn't have had the same effect as my version of Hey Grand Dude would mostly involve Grand Dude sitting in the corner of the room, dribbling and struggling to even remember my name. As I previously mentioned, though, this is not Paul's first children's book, and the fact that the main character is a super cool granddad who plays the guitar and takes his kids all around the world makes it rather clear to anyone reading this story that the inspiration for the text would have come from the fact that he himself is now a granddad. As he mentions in every single interview around this book, the direct point of inspiration for the project occurred when one of his eight grandchildren, namely his grandson Beckett, who one day, whilst Mac was presumably being rather cool, went and dubbed him Grand Dude, which is just such a McCartney-esque phrase in itself that, of course, it had to be one of his relatives that said it to him. During an interview on the UK programme this morning, in November of 2019, he detailed his relationship with his grandkids as thus. They'll see old grandad walking out on stage, but I'll pick him up from school and take him for ice cream somewhere. Then they'll see me getting noticed in the street, and they'll watch how I do with it. And then when they walk away, we all laugh at it. For a minute, I'm the famous guy, and then suddenly, I'm back to Grandude. When people did ask, though, if Grandude was a direct analogy of himself, whether he just literally is Grandude, McCartney actually refuted the idea when he said, Grandude isn't supposed to be me, because he's magic, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, whatever you say there, Paul. And just in case you didn't already know, this is the full list of the McCartney grandkids. You've got Arthur, Elliot, Sam and Sid from Mary McCartney. And then you've got Miller, Bailey, the aforementioned Beckett and Riley coming from Stella McCartney. As with each part of his diverse portfolio, there is that ever-present element of McCartney always wanting to do something new and different and present himself with new challenges. But this is a, a project that's probably a little bit more closer to his heart than usual because everything involved with it, from the story, the artwork, the promotion, it was all clear, you know, as saccharine as it may sound, as gooey as this may appear in your ears, it's all just one incredibly heartfelt tribute to his grandchildren and the relationship that he has with them. And yes, it might also go to make a little bit of future pocket money for the grandkids, which it certainly will, as this thing rose to a number one Times bestseller after its release on the 5th of September 2019. But in terms of the inception of the project, I do believe Paul in the fact that he was creating something sincere that only he could give his grandchildren. Like, he's already done a children's book now, so why not do one specifically and entirely for them? I mean, it would be really cool to receive a book off your granddad anyway, but to receive one off your granddad who's Paul McCartney would, 
oh, that would be so cool, wouldn't it? Though, unlike many of his other side projects like films and musicals, this was just another thing that he was just privately doodling away on, just at home. And, you know, it just happened to be picked up. In one of the interviews he was doing, he mentions how he was just writing this in the background as a private little thing. And then he says, quote, they found out, meaning he didn't approach a publisher with the book. So obviously this was something that was done for pleasure or for personal reasons, like I've said. And then perhaps someone in the family mentioned it to someone else related to the McCartneys and then they let it slip. And before you know it, the suits were all over it. And in that sense, that's where my cynicism for this project does start. Like, I have no doubt that, you know, from McCartney's end, this was a purely selfless act. But the moment people realised that they could then sell this book to the public, then that's when the gears in my head start spinning and I start to get a little bit grumpy. In one of the promotional videos for the book, they use Fur You in the soundtrack. And whilst that is a odd and slightly inappropriate choice for a children's book video, the connection I wanted to make here was that this book did come out around the time of his Egypt Station album, and the overly negative bastard in me cannot help but draw a connection between these two releases. You know, Paul's doing well again, he's back on top, he's been on Carpool Karaoke, he's touring, and you can just imagine the suits, you know, rubbing their hands together with delight knowing that Paul's got a book in the bag, and, and whilst it might not be a project that Paul was dedicating for a wide release with a, a public audience in mind. You know by fuck these guys are going to do everything in their power to make sure that Paul publishes it, releases it, and starts marketing it. I mean, Paul did as many interviews for this book as he would have done if he was doing a new album. And you can tell all the interviews are real fluff pieces as well, because no one really asks him about writing or the, you know, family life for more than, say, 30 seconds, and then instead they go right back to the same 30-odd Beatles questions and generic ponderings on songwriting. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can, quote, force a man like Paul McCartney into promoting a book like this. And yeah, I do totally believe Paul when he says that this was just a passion project that happened to be made. I'm not saying he's like Harper Lee, who's had a manuscript stolen from him in his senility or anything like that. But, you know, like Paul's Christmas album for his family or like his little black book of his experiences in the Japanese prison, was Hey Grand Dude ultimately just meant to be a part of the greater McCartney myth that we were never meant to see? And now that we have seen it, has that spoiled the myth somewhat? But who am I to argue with these suits? Obviously, the book did still keep Paul in the limelight around that time. And yeah, the book did go to number one. So it is a testament, again, to the power of Paul's new management. Other reviews? Now, before you hear my final thoughts on this little book, let's put our feelers out there into the wider world and see how others have reacted to this text. Originally, I wasn't going to do this segment for this episode, mostly just because, you know, we do it for the main album reviews, but it wasn't until I started venturing out into the world of literary book criticism that I thought it might bear mentioning, as I was clearly not the only one who was spending far too much time reading into Hey Grandude. In Kitty Danger's review for Hey Grandude in both The Guardian and The Observer, and yes, that is her real name, she feels that the recurring danger and flee aspect to the story was inherently negative, despite all the kids ending up safely in bed at the end. She reads, 
But every gleeful scenario ends badly, with Grandude and the Chillers fleeing when some avalanche or stampede invariably kiboshes the thrills. Why didn't an editor ask McCartney to take this sad song and make it better? Like, yeah, that final line's very witty and all, but it's really only the best you can do in this situation because the criticism just seems so half-arsed. Because an avalanche or a stampede is the most thrilling you can get without putting the children in, you know, serious danger. And come on, I mean, something has to actually happen in the narrative. There has to be an inciting incident. Otherwise, it would literally just be a bunch of people looking at postcards. And anyway, whenever the danger does occur, Grand Dude does the peaceful thing and gets the hell out of there. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, stampedes and crab invasions are the thrills, not putting the kibosh on them. I don't know. I'm not sure what her issue was here. And we're going to see this time and time again, especially even with my own review for this, is the idea that these learned and overly critical critics come in and try and write something that is going to impress their editor when all that you're really supposed to say about a book like this is, yeah, it's pretty good, the kids might like it. Which, of course, I couldn't possibly do because I've got to make at least more than eight seconds worth of content for you people. But anyway... The Financial Times had a review with a reference that I thought was directly aimed at this audience listening to this podcast right now, which reads, Hey Grandude is a perfectly acceptable, jaunty little affair, fetchingly illustrated by Catherine Durst. It's not exactly groundbreaking. In musical terms, you could say it's more Wings than Beatles. Yes, love that one, but as we all know, Wings were the band that the Beatles could have been. But in all seriousness, at least the critic attempts to approach Hey Grand Dude with the right mindset. FQ magazine, which is rather amusingly described as the essential dad magazine, gave another little more positive review on the book. But that may also have something to do with the fact that Macca did an interview for them specifically. They praised McCartney dodging the pratfalls of over-politicisation specifically though when they say... Unlike 2005's High in the Clouds, however, there is no underlying political finger-pointing. This time, it's pure and spatial-hopping fantasy that's bold in imagination, bright in picture, and endless in readability. And what's not to love about a globe-trotting, guitar-plucking grandad who still sits down with the kids? Not sure if I approve of the phrase, down with the kids, but I'll move us on now to some user-based reviews. Normally we go on to RateMyMusic.com. We're going to switch things over now to the equivalent, which is Goodreads.com, which has lots of fantastic user reviews. One user, Abigail, said, The story isn't a terrible idea. I can even see some kids finding it entertaining. But there's a little too much here, and McCartney doesn't quite hold it all together in one tale. Somehow, the narrative here just felt rather disjointed, like the author was trying to do too much. The artwork is colourful and cute. Again, I can see some children really enjoying it, but it didn't do too much for me either. Mileage varies, so if you're a determined Paul McCartney fan, you might want to give this one a look. But overall, I was feeling rather indifferent to it, and I don't strongly recommend it. And I think the phrase that is the key one in that review would be mileage varies. Like, yeah... This really isn't a product with a definitive audience as to who is or isn't going to like it. It's probably more subjective than even some of the albums we've done on this show. 
especially when you consider the fact that the only people old enough to buy the product will likely be too old to actually be part of the target audience. Also from goodreads.com, user Beverly does what I normally do on this podcast by overthinking the fuck out of the Hey Grandude narrative when she writes, Sorry, from my perspective, Grandude comes off as eccentric and irresponsible. Today's children are too sophisticated for this hocus-pocus old-school magic. This era of children's books is not only meant to entertain, but educate and inform with positive storylines addressing societal issues. Whereas Grandu's grandchildren are being traumatised by repeat episodes of disaster and flight to safety with each Grandude misadventure. Personally, I don't find the value or moral of the stories rated two stars only because it's Paul McCartney. So she's a fan enough of Paul McCartney to rate it the two stars based on Paul's name alone. And yet she's not a fan enough to know that this is entirely within Paul's realm of like narrative scope. Like, of course, Paul McCartney for a couple of three and five year olds is going to write a whimsical fantasy-esque novel. Does she really want Paul McCartney to be tackling race and transgender rights and poverty and death? Come on. Even if that kind of thing is to be taught to that young an audience, Paul McCartney is clearly not the man to be doing it. So maybe try high in the clouds because that's all about pollution, eh, Beverly? And finally, from goodreads.com, let's end on more of a sane and logical note. User Tanya said, The pictures are cute and filled with action. There are more words than I expected for a picture book. The pictures are cute and filled with action. There are more words than I expected for a picture book, which is great for me, but it does up the age group for which the book is intended. Overall, it's a sweet story showing the bond that forms between grandfather and his grandchildren, and it hits the mark for fun and funny. And despite the fact that this was an official Paul McCartney release, uh, as with all things on the internet, most reviews seem to be put behind a paywall after the initial article's been left up for like six months. So that was pretty much everything that I could scour about this this text. And it seems that overall, on the whole, people genuinely seem to like it. But as with all Paul McCartney projects, there is still its fair share of critics. Review... So, after all of that preamble now, let's go on with the proper review of the text itself. You know, what did I think of it? Well, this isn't exactly going to be a classically scholarly book review where I can break down the plot and the symbolism and the intertextuality, because obviously it's not that kind of text, is it? And no, I'm not saying that McCartney isn't a real author or that this isn't a, quote, real book. Just that the standards, obviously, of children's fiction is incredibly different than adult texts or even, you know, young adult fiction. McCartney obviously has always an audience in mind with each project. And when writing for young children, you have to pay more attention to how easy to follow your story is. You know, whether your story is more of a positive one for young minds, that it's fun, that the parents are able to perform the text that it has colourful illustrations and is able to inspire imaginations of those reading it, which ultimately works in Paul's favour, really, because things like logic and plot and intricacies really fall to the backside, as kids really don't care about that kind of thing anyway, and the beauty of a lot of the greatest children's works is their simplicity. 
I was never expecting McCartney to do a particularly complex narrative. And Hey Grandude is a very simple text to read. Obviously, it's more of a picture book format as well. So the two together do create a very direct and easy to understand experience for all readers. You know, this text will work either being read to a child lying in bed or with the parent and child reading the book next to each other with the text open. And my immediate impression was one of surprise of just how functional the whole thing was. You know, it did feel like, you know, it did feel like just a brand new children's story. If you hadn't have put Paul's name on this, I wouldn't have guessed that it was McCartney. And I do mean that in a good way. You know, there's nothing pandering about this, being a McCartney fan. And the whole thing is very serviceable from start to finish. I couldn't imagine any children going, I don't like this story, outside of anything other than, you know, that child's particular taste. As an act of storytelling, Paul makes good use of the rule of three and the repetition of the new environment, learning something new and having fun before the introduction of that danger element and grand dude whisking them off to a new location. Again, that's all clear and easy for children to follow, but it's also pretty exciting and, you know, all other reviews aside, I thought it offered vicarious thrills for that three to five range, you know, without them having to be exposed to some darker themes you know it was all good fun and i can see parents having lots of fun in figuring out how they're going to act this story out for their kids and i mean let's be real folks we're all going to be reading out the grand dude dialogue out in paul's voice i mean right come on i know i did speaking of paul's voice aside from the title uh, that there was one overt reference to the fact that this was Paul McCartney writing this book, and it wasn't in your face. It was more of an Easter egg for the family itself, more than anything, though. And it's one I'm sure all of the other fans spotted straight away anyway. It, again, not a massive one, but when Grand Dude takes the kids out to the Wild West, the cowboy they encounter is riding an Appaloosa horse, which, of course, was Linda McCartney's favourite breed of horse, one of which she owned. You know, there are many photos of that. And it's a wonderful little tribute to the Grand Dudette, as it were. The main point of the story is fun, magic and whimsy. There isn't too much beneath the surface here, people. For this younger audience, though, Paul is most at home writing in this kind of storybook version of silly love songs. And again, what's wrong with that? You, know, you have the exciting locales, some adventure, some singing, some laughs, and it all wraps itself up nicely. As Paul mentioned in one of the promotional interviews, he likes a shorter bedtime story so that the kids are all put to bed relatively quickly, and the book certainly does that, clocking in at just over 20 pages. But whether you see this story as a particularly heavy picture book or a rather light children's story, I think it does the job. It's a, a, a perfectly serviceable children's story. It didn't particularly capture my imagination, but I have to be aware that I'm not the target demographic. So if any of you have read this to a child or know someone who has read Hey Grandu to their kids or to a cousin or a nephew or something, please let me know at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Of course, there's another major player in the story that I've neglected to mention so far, and that is the artist and illustrator Catherine Durst, whose artwork adorns the book from cover to cover. It's clear though that after working with the likes of George Dunbar, 
and being a and being an accomplished artist in his own right and having bags of cash, Paul was only going to be working with the best talent in the business for this project, and Durst is quite clearly that. Apparently Durst was contacted some six months before the project was even going to be announced, and she had to keep all of that secret with various NDAs and stuff, and McCartney and the whole MP and the MPL team essentially approached her uh, after showing McCartney certain examples of her work, and she pretty much thought that that was going to be it, but it turned out she actually went on to have several phone conversations with Paul, discussing storytelling and their favourite children's books and stuff like that. All very exciting stuff for a very young artist. In terms of reviewing children's illustrators and illustrations, though, I am about as experienced as I am in reviewing children's literature, but from what I can see, Durst more than succeeds in translating Paul's rather bare-bones story into a vibrantly visual medium. Again, I'm assuming the objectives are slightly different than illustrating a more adult novel, as the visuals here, like I say, are just as much of a storytelling device as the words and Durst's crisp, clean visuals are the perfect support to ensure that any child is going to be able to understand what's going on. I mean, maybe by the use of the magical compass, you can pretty much tell the entire story without even reading the words. Paul doesn't exactly give the most vivid descriptions of what's going on, and she certainly does fill in the blanks and brings this story to life a little more naturally than it otherwise might have. I've looked around at Durst's other illustrative work and snooped around her Instagram page and what I've noticed about her style, and I found this to be really clever, is that despite being quite clearly very finely crafted and professional in its presentation, um, it, it shies away from any overt complexities that would prevent it from being recreated by the children reading it. Like the forms and the shapes and the affectations are simple enough at their core that if there are any artistically minded kids that read Hey Grand Dude, then they too can recreate even more stories for themselves. And I think that's a really cool egalitarian art style to have in a younger children's book. I mean, for example, all of the shadows and the character's cheeks look directly like a child has just scribbled them on with a crayon. And any kid can do that. I love the character designs themselves. Obviously, Grand Dude thankfully does not look like Paul in any way, and instead we have a rather quaint, wonderfully archetypal grandfather figure. I mean, with a title like Hey Grand Dude, you could picture all sorts of horrors, including sunglasses and a backwards turned cap and a skateboard, but thankfully what makes Grand Dude cool is things that happen in the story, you know, the fact that he is a normal granddad that does extraordinary things. Thank God he doesn't have, quote, attitude. The children themselves are a wonderfully inclusive and broad set of characters, each with a distinctive look, meaning they are all instantly identifiable within the narrative. Some particular images that, that struck a chord with me and have stuck with me even days since reading it for the first time would especially be all of the animals in the book, like the swarm of crabs on the beach, each with their hilariously nervous and anxious expressions, were particularly endearing to me, and might even be my favourite individual image from the book. 
But I also had a certain fondness for the magical cows that flew and the flying fish that they ride at various points as well. Like, the book does directly stay away from any, quote, psychedelic imagery, but I thought that kind of stuff was very imaginative and dreamlike. And, you know, as imagery, it definitely stuck with me. So both Paul and Durst there get points. Overall, Durst's artwork is very bright, it's very colourful, it's eye-catching, and whilst this may be a compliment more to MPL and Paul's management, her style does blend well with Paul and with the Hey Grand Dude narrative. In terms of finding someone who is there to support McCartney and make sure that his possibly middling mediocre idea is presented in the best form possible, Durst excels. So it's just another one of those classic well-put-together McCartney collaborations. Though, like I say, I've done a little bit of research around Catherine Durst, and I must say, do go and check out her Instagram page. Go and check out a lot of her other works as well. They're in the same kind of style. She does have a certain flair for this imaginative, childlike style, and I can only recommend checking out all of, all, all, all of the stuff. It's really cool. Now, there is another element to this book that I completely forgot about when I first started writing the episode, and that was the fact that there was also an accompanying complimentary audiobook of Hey Grand Dude. Now, when I found out about this audiobook, it was after I had already purchased a physical copy of Hey Grand Dude, and I didn't want to have to buy another one to get an audio code or a CD or whatever. So I got a subscription to Audible, which, you know, is one of those services that I would one day love to be a sponsor of this show. Shout out Audible, it's a pretty incredible service. I got my trial with a couple of free books. One of them, as you guessed, was the 11-minute audiobook of Paul McCartney himself reading Hey Grand Dude. I got that with one of my two free credits, and the other credit was spent on the 43-hour reading of Mark Lewison's The Beatles' Tune In. I'm already about three hours through it at the time of recording right now. So I think I've got a certain amount of value for nothing here. But anyway, enough of that non-plug there. And let me just start by saying I am so glad that Paul actually went ahead and decided to do the audiobook for this. It's always preferable when authors read out their own texts, and whilst Lewison does do a 30-minute intro for the Beatles' tune-in audiobook, the rest of the 42 and a half hours is read by Clive Mantle. I won't lie, I really enjoyed listening to Paul read Hey Grand Dude, but I will admit that part of that was a certain kitsch irony. Uh, like, part of me thought it was really interesting, uh, from an audiobook recording perspective, as that's a sector that I'd really like to get into professionally and that I'm pursuing. And I was imagining all of the recording producers and technicians and editors working around McCartney. And there was this other part of me that was quite childish and just thought it was hilarious that I was listening to Paul read this kid's book at two in the afternoon on a Sunday. But Paul does admirably well. He reads the text in a very grandfatherly way. You know, he reads it with a requisite amount of emotion. He does put a little bit of his acting pizzazz into this. And whilst I have my doubts about whether you could actually play this audiobook for kids, you know, at least he gives it his all. 
Also, the idea of Paul sitting in a studio kind of made me want to do a podcasting reference or joke, but I'll save that for an Ubujubu episode. Also, when the audiobook started, Paul started reading out some text that I was wholly unfamiliar with, and I was concerned that the poor old chap had been given the wrong piece of paper or something. But it turns out he was reading a bit of the book that I'd entirely overlooked, which is a little intro postcard from Grandude at the start of the book, where he actually reveals his full name, which, as it turns out, is Edward Marshall Sr., a.k.a. the new moniker that all future hotel clerks should be on the look for, you know, from Paul Raymond to Edward Marshall Sr. If that wasn't enough for you, though, the audiobook also gives us a lovely little guitar and xylophone piece to accompany the intro and outro, and Paul plays the guitar at the exact moment in the story when Grand Dude starts strumming his guitar on the mountaintop. I can't find the exact quote, it might be an audio clip, but in one of the interviews, Paul mentions that if you happen to have Paul McCartney in the studio and he he happens to have his guitar on him at that time, then you may as well get a little tune out of it. Ever up to the challenge, Paul delivered, and we have this cutesy go to sleep after Dreamland piece that admittedly Paul could write in his own sleep, but it's incredibly cute and it displays an effort and skill set that you would not get from most authors. And for the collectors slash hoarders, not only do we have a published work from Paul now, but we also have an official recording from him, which, if you look at it another way, could also be another possible point of sale for potential advertisers. I suppose if you are one of these parents out there with very little time or acting skills, then I suppose you could pop on the audiobook of Hey Grandude on in the background and hope the little nipper falls asleep to the sound of McCartney's disembodied voice. But if I'm seriously reviewing this as a separate product, then I cannot help but feel that it should have been an entirely free bonus extra with every copy of the book. Like, you shouldn't have to buy this 11-minute thing. And yeah, maybe I could say that for every children's book and then, you know, the authors wouldn't make anything from it. But there should definitely be a dual package here. And if you buy the physical copy of the book, then yeah, you should definitely get the audio version of Hey Grand Dude. It's only 11 minutes long. And the fact that it is priced on Amazon separately from the book at around £10, around $16 or so US, is absolutely crazy. Come on. It feels even stranger when you consider how all of the promotional material for the book is about Paul talking about the importance of reading to grandchildren and connecting with them and reading to his own grandkids. So including an audiobook element at all just seems to pervert the entire point a little bit. Conclusion So yeah, that was Hey Grandude, yet another one of the many pies McCartney has had his finger in around this time. You know, we've got more archive releases coming up, we've got the 50th anniversary and remaking slash uh, rehistorification of Let It Be, the It's a Wonderful Life musical he's writing, and possibly another 50 things that we don't even fucking know about. But this is one that has been a wonderfully quaint and restrained and unimposing affair, even if there was a bit of a media furore around it at the time with his promotion. But I've really enjoyed it. Paul has put out a functional children's book. I don't know what more I can say about it than that. He probably couldn't do the same with an adult fiction novel or maybe even with those bloody memoirs that he's going to start any time now. 
You know, but here, within the realm and the conventions of the children's fiction genre, Paul's silly tendencies and imaginative digressions blossom, and it's all in good fun, the artwork's amazing, and, you know, who doesn't like Grand Dude? I do find it important, though, at this point, that I reinforce the fact that I really do like this book. But I am afraid, possibly more so than ever, that my own McCartney bias is in full effect here. Like I said, I am not well versed in the art of book criticism or even children's literature criticism, which means I am left with this part of my mind that cannot help but ponder over whether this book would have had any impact at all or have sold a single copy if ex-Beatle Paul McCartney had not written it. Yes, it's a very cynical approach to the material, and yeah, you can argue that everything the Fab Four ever did creatively after the Beatles would always have a greater marquee value based solely on the fact that they were together in the 60s. But I'm obviously struggling to see anyone buying this book based on anything other than the fact that they themselves were pre-established McCartney fans. Like, I was quite positive earlier when I mentioned how the story was quite classic in, you know, the sense that you could take Paul's name off of it and it would still work. But if you did do that, would people have given it as much time as they have? Obviously not. Now, in terms of the audiobook, I am a lot less hesitant in my cynicism because I can guarantee you that there is no child out there that would rather listen to Paul read the story rather than their own parents. Like, if the book was only ever going to be bought by McCartney and Beatle fans, then the 11-minute cash cow that is the audiobook was only ever going to be bought by the superfan suckers like myself. Thank you, Audible, for that free credit. But yeah, I don't want to end on a negative here. I had a lot of fun looking into this book and exploring a new side of McCartney's oeuvre. You know, honestly, folks, I started this episode and I feared that it was going to be a little cringeworthy and embarrassing, but... When it came to the genuine text itself and the presentation therein, McCartney really did himself proud. And even if the book is a little somewhat all too mediocre, it's perfectly acceptable. It's wonderfully imaginative. It's quite McCartney if you know where to look. And if nothing else, it's spurred my interest in Paul's fiction writing. And now that a certain package has come through the post, as I mentioned earlier, we can soon crack on with a similar deep dive into High in the Clouds. And that brings us to the end of this chapter of Paul or Nothing. Hope you enjoyed that episode there, folks. Not sure how many of you will have read this book, but if you have, and again, especially if you've read this book to any children out there, please do send in that email to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know how well it went down with those little chillers. Thank you all for listening, everyone. I'm glad that seemingly the majority of you have enjoyed our episodes on Press to Play, and you can look forward to a similarly detailed and well-conversed look into Flowers in the Dirt very, very soon. The next episode will be our Yellow Submarine review, as we haven't done a chronological film review in ages now. Uh, thanks to Yesterday and the Bruce McMouse show. After that, depending on how much I've done with Flowers in the Dirt, we may either do uh, the first of our catch-up reviews with the Family Way film and the soundtrack review for that, uh, possibly another Listen with Sam episode on Red Rose Speedway, maybe some more hot hits and cold cuts, some, some music video reviews, who knows? Either way, lots of stuff happening at Paul or Nothing here, folks. 
Either way, Denny Lane's probably been playing us out for a while now, but please stick around to hear our correspondence from Andrew B later on. Keep listening, keep listening to Paul, folks. Peace and love. Harry Krishna, play us out, Denny. Hi Sam, love the podcast. I enjoy it because I can remember hearing the uh, McCartney albums uh, as you are for the first time, although I'm a little bit older than you. Um, right, a little bit of background about myself. I got into the Beatles when I was uh, 11, so that'd be 1977. So yeah, I'm quite old. But I didn't actually, I, I got the records from the library i didn't actually buy and i might have bought the blue album i think sergeant pepper but the first album i ever heard was abbey road so fast forward 1982 when i had some my first job disposal income so i started buying records and i think just listening to how you listen to or uh, you get to know the records it's a similar sort of thing for me so you've got to think 1982 when i started work everything before that ram band on the run even mccartney 2 everything was new but there was such a an influx of new material so you sort of just absorbed everything and then you chose your favorites just as i did and but then your 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 taste change as you have found out yourself uh, with wildlife and red rose and all that personally i love london town i know it's not your thing but um i love london town i love back to the egg so the wing stuff i really enjoy um so anyway skip along a little bit and we're up to tug of war which was for me the first record that came out um mccartney wise i'd, I'd bought uh, other stuff since then like uh, before that like george harrison's all those years ago it, i was able, able to go into the the record shop and ask for it so the very first one for me would have been tug of war paul wise and i can remember going into the shop getting it and it was fantastic just to have something new when it came out and new material because obviously you know you soaked everything up before you've 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 absorbed it all because it's just this plethora of fantastic music so when something new comes along uh by that by mccartney the same artist you soaked it up and yeah there was some naff tracks but that was the beauty of albums vinyl is that you had to listen to the naff tracks as well as the good stuff because unless you wanted to sit there and lift the needle, uh, the stylus, over from one track to another, you just sat there and, and listened to it. And I think that process made you appreciate some of the, the tracks that you probably wouldn't have normally appreciated before. But that's my point of view. So, um, yeah, Tug of War came out, loved it. Pipes of Peace came out, loved it. I think it's because it's a new album. And it's much like um, Egypt Station came out, Yeah couple of years ago and for me it's the first mccartney album where i've had that same feeling of yeah i like this i it's a good album previous ones leading up to that memory almost for driving rain was an awful album as far as i was concerned um and so those sort of albums have never really 
hung in for me if you get my drift for me the last decent album before egypt station was probably i'm probably going to be very controversial and say flaming pie but anyway i'm skipping ahead of myself aren't i i've got to got to try and stick to the facts so um 1984 uh, working in central london and i'm working in an office just off carnaby street just around the corner from soho square it's like three minute walk so december 84 i thought hmm during my lunch break i'll go to soho square have a look at mpl i've probably got my camera with me oh i'll tell you what on the off chance i'll just take a paul mccartney ebony and ivory postcard with me you know the one with him leaning up against the uh the piano keyboard so i uh took it there and it's about lunchtime and I'm stood there just outside on the street and this bloke walks by in a long coat it's pretty cold because it's December and I have to do a double take because he's going into MPL hang on a minute that's Paul McCartney hey hey excuse me excuse me would you mind signing this for me and that's the very first time I ever met him outside MPL and he he signed the um the postcard, which unfortunately has since been stolen from me, but that's another story. And he signed it, posed for a picture, and he went in. I said, you know, love the stuff, whatever. I can't even remember the conversation I had with him. And he went in, and I had to get back to 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 work. So I went back to work, and this was on a Friday. And I thought to myself, I wonder if he's in there quite often. So throughout the week, I pop back, nothing. The next Friday, there he is again. And I, I get a photo of him again, has a little chit chat, but he's obviously, because I got him to sign another um, uh, postcard, exactly the same. And he's obviously looked at it, looked at me, and he must have had a deja vu feeling because it was exactly a week earlier that I'd done exactly the same thing. So that was how I sort of figured out how I could meet him. So I, yeah, hung around outside MPL. So December 84, what you've got to remember is Broad Street. It's just coming up film premiere um we all stand together as well because that was with broad street on at the same time and uh the premiere i got tickets through the fan club to go to the premiere i'd got tickets to the preview which was the day before from liberties of london they were holding some sort of thing that if you went in and bought something they gave you a little goodie bag and inside were a pair of tickets to go and see a preview of give my regards to broad street before it had come out so yeah, so December 84, I saw him twice on my own, just one-to-one, and now I've got photos of those, and it's, and it's great sort of memory. And I got chatting to another guy who was there sometimes, and he was a guy from New Zealand, a friend of mine called We've been friends ever since. And we you know, used to just hang out together, and then we were joined by some girls, uh, there was even a couple of the original Apple Scruffs sort of hung around, and we all sort of banded up together, hung around together, and we used to see him quite often coming in and out of MPL, and we'd go to TV shows, we'd get tipped the wink of where to be at certain times by some people who worked inside MPL. I'm not going to mention any names. Some worked for Paul for a long time, and some... Didn't work for him anymore after he found out. But anyway, 
we were able to raid the bins when they put the, the rubbish out of the night time. And that was a plethora of, inf oh my God, the information we got out of there. We basically had his schedule for six months and we knew which TV show he was going to be doing, where he was going to be. So that was fabulous. So yeah, we so we saw him an awful lot and he, he came to know us um, and he would quite happily stand and chat. Linda was fantastic. She was so nice because sometimes Paul would get sidetracked with people who were just passing by wanting pictures and all that and we'd just stand and chat to Linda. <laughs> and Yeah, and she, she'd sign and pose for photos and I, I just can't express how nice she was to the fans considering the fans of the 70s gave her such a rough ride. Um, excuse the pun. So she was really good to us, and Paul was really good to us. In fact, I have only known him twice to be a bit off with us, but um, I'll come on to those. So anyway, we then visit Peasmarsh, just to go to the, the, the village, have a look around. Obviously, we found where the farm was. We found where Waterfalls was, the, uh, the previous house that he'd owned. They're, they're like half a mile from each other. The studio, Hog Hill Mill, is up on a hill, um, obviously because hence the name and also that's where you get the best wind there's no dry moat it's just a, a, a windmill in a field and there as you say there are footpaths that you could just walk alongside and and if you're naughty enough you can actually nip over the fence and go up the driveway and uh, maybe find some stuff in the bin there as well um, but um, we got some some stuff out of the bin from P, uh, from Hog Hill Mill and it was pre- press to play this is what my story is mainly going to be about press to play i think and it was the lyrics to press and we stood there and read these lyrics and as you said in your podcast darling i love you very 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 and we're just looking at this and we're like how on earth is this a song oklahoma was never like, what the hell happened in oklahoma no one knew so we had this I managed to snaffle a couple of Polaroid photos that were thrown away. You know the back cover of the single press where he's leaning on the console, the recording console? Well, there's two guys. I haven't been able to identify who they are. Um, I've Googled absolutely everyone involved in their making of the album and looked up pictures, and I cannot for the life of me figure out who these people are. But anyway, they're leaning in exactly the same pose as Paul is. And it makes me wonder, did he do a similar thing for all the musicians as an idea, maybe for a, a poster or, or something like that? Um, but I don't know. So um, so we had the lyrics to press oh, months before the single come out. We, we were like, what? Uh, how? <laughs> so anyway, the single came out and I, I personally love it. I think it's great. The video, as you said, is awesome. McCartney on the tube. Now, here's a little story. Right, bearing in mind, I have never told these stories publicly before. I've told them maybe like to the odd person who, who I've chatted to, and but I've never exposed it to a wider forum. So the week before he filmed that video, there was a bit of a flap at MPL. Uh, we were outside, a little, little group of us, and John Hamill... Uh, who's Paul's driver at the time, a very lawyer who was there in the 70s for Wings and all that. He was a very lawyer. He's a really nice guy, fabulous guy, defends Paul to the hilt. And if Paul wanted to get a message to us, it would come via John, like go away or don't come here or whatever. And, you know, we respected that. So uh, anyway, 
we saw there was a bit of a flap and we spoke to John and basically McCartney had gone missing. No one knew where he was. He'd gone out for lunch and he hadn't returned. And it turns out that he'd done a dry run of the tube like a week early. He'd just gone down on the tube and got off at St John's Wood and walked to, to Cavendish Avenue in St John's Wood, his house. But no one knew <laughs> and it caused an almighty flap. Now, Paul isn't a stranger to travelling on public transport because throughout the 80s, he would walk from Charing Cross Railway Station, which is the line from Pease Marsh. He'd get the train into Charing Cross and he would then walk through Chinatown, through Soho to the office. So it was not an uncommon thing to see Paul on a train or walk in the streets on his own or with Linda, arm in arm, they'd walk down the street. So, uh, yes, a, a week before he, he'd just done this dry run, completely unannounced. So that's, I think, why the video is so good. It just brings back so many memories of that time for me. Funnily enough, and this, this is, again, another beauty of hindsight, funnily enough, the only track at the time the fans that I hung around with didn't like was Pretty Little Head. I know it's a favourite of yours, and as I've said, I've grown to, I've grown to like it. I think it works better as a 12-inch single, than an album track but anyway we were stood in Soho Square actually in the gardens area one day midweek lunchtime and we were just standing around chit-chatting deciding where we're going to go maybe for a drink or whatever and all of a sudden Paul just walks up he just joins our little group and stood in the middle he goes all right guys and we turns around oh oh hello <laughs> and he says just to, I thought I'd come over and let you know we've decided on the next single oh fabulous what's it going to be and he said pretty little head and as I said, for us, it's the worst track on it. The silence was deafening. <laughs> we just stood and stared at him. You what? And then he just looked at us and he went, well, I'll be off then, giving us a funny <laughs> look. No, 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 come back, come back. So, he... so we had a little chit-chat. But yeah, I could, that was the day he told us that there was going to be a new single, Pretty Little Head. Yeah, and so that was the, um, the thing about um, Pretty Little Head. We got loads of uh, the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the images, the, 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 the mixing images that appeared on the We got loads of those on MPL paper where he'd obviously done rough drafts. Um, they were out the bin. And, um, yeah, and like things like Only Love Remains, that the, you know, we, we were able to get into um, Royal Variety Show to go and see him do that. My first ever seen, uh, first time I ever saw Paul live was at Live Aid. I heard your Live Aid podcast, and you're right. It was odd that he only got one song. I was so near the front, he didn't need a microphone. I could hear him, which was awesome. I did hear a story from Nick Ferrari, who was working at the Sun, the broadcaster. Nick Ferrari worked at the Sun newspaper, and um, he said that his editor asked him. I need you to come up with a, a story about Live Aid. So he made up this story about a Beatles reunion with Julian replacing John. And he was talking, I forget one what show he was talking about this, but he then went and and got this story. And the editor was like, wow, this is big. They run front page. Years later, he spoke to George Harrison and George Harrison said to him, how did you find out? He says, about what? He says, about Live Aid. He says, what do you mean? He says, how did you find out that we were going to be doing it with Julian? And it was because he run the story that they didn't do it because they thought the the, the um, impetus had been lost. 
And that could be a reason why Paul only done one track, other than the fact that he hadn't toured for a while. Anyway, um, they're my memories from the press to play time. Um, I've got some stories about McCartney um, around about the same time when he was trying to push We All Stand Together, managed to get into the BBC, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you those another time. Um, they're my main press to play stories. If any more come to light, I'll, I'll drop you an email or something. 